from AATH, the Association for Applied and Therapeutic Humor. This is LaughBox, the podcast for laughter and humor professionals. Here's your host, Chip Lutz. Time for Laugh Box. Hey, have you heard the good news? Yeah, AATH Conference in Chicago next year. You don't want to miss it. April 4th through the 7th in the Windy City, Chicago. And this week I'm talking to one of the conference presenters, Frank King. Um, And we're talking about a subject that sometimes in our society is a little taboo, but a conversation that needs to be had. We're hitting on suicide. Uh, Something that's real personal to me, we lose a lot more veterans to suicide than we lose in combat. And sometimes all it takes is somebody reaching out and having that initial conversation. And Frank walks the walk. He knows what he's talking about. I know you're going to enjoy this conversation as much as I did, so sit back. Enjoy. Well, hello, friends. Hey, we're back on Laugh Box right here, the official podcast of the Association for Applied and Therapeutic Humor. And I get to talk to Frank King today. Frank is a pretty uh, pretty funny guy, pretty awesome guy. And I'm really lucky to spend a little time with him on the show today. So welcome, Frank, to the podcast. Well, thank you very much. Nice to be called awesome. Well, yeah, you are. I mean, you're out there, you know, doing some uh, some pretty incredible work. So for our listeners, if you could just share a little bit about uh, who Frank King, this mysterious man of mystery, is. Uh, let's see. Uh, I get the question all the time. Were you born funny? Yes. As a matter of fact, an interesting thing happened on the way down the birth canal. I <laughs> I was born funny. My entire family's funny. I... I people often ask, you know, tell me about yourself. Well, I'm a comedian. No, no, not what you do, who you are. Well, at the risk of being redundant, I'm a comedian because that's the way I process. That's I tell people I can teach you how to write jokes. I can teach you how to perform stand-up. What I cannot teach you to do is process information the way a stand-up comedian processes information. Mm-hmm. That that's where it sets us apart. Um, I hear and see the same things everybody else does, but the way it's just. I'm on a Delta flight the other day, and it's been a couple of years, I guess. They just changed the regulations on your iPhone and iPad. They said you could use, can use, your iPad, iPhone on takeoff or landing if it is in the airplane mode. And the problem with the flight attendant at this point on that day was that's not written down anywhere yet because it's a brand new regulation. Mm-hmm. So she goes through the, and I'm on a Delta flight, flight attendant's very Southern generally. Uh, she goes through the, you know, the uh, oxygen mask and the seat cushions and the floor path lighting. And she gets to the part where she's got to tell us about this new FAA regulation. And she stops. And you can hear the wheels turning. She comes back on. She goes, ladies and gentlemen, uh, due to new FAA regulation, and there's this long pause where you can, you know, you can almost hear her thinking. Then she gets inspired. She goes, due to a new FAA regulation, if you have small equipment, you can continue playing with it. At which point I've been over double laughing. Nobody else on the plane is. My seatmate thinks I've lost my mind. He says, what? I said, let's review. Before I could review, she comes back on and says, if you have large equipment, you're going to have to shove that under the seat in front of you. And I'm down on my knees. (laughs) That's funny. So that's, that's the way... That's the way my mind works. 
Right. I believe it's strictly the flip side of my major depressive disorder and chronic suicidality, my mental illness. I believe mm -hmm. that mental illness is not a singularity, but in fact, for most people, it is a combination of mental illness and mental ableness, or perhaps even a third thing, uh, mental otherness. Uh, a friend of mine says of comedians, there's two kinds of comedians, diagnosed and undiagnosed. Gotcha. That's, um, it's, I, I like your, your intro, a funny thing happened on the way down the birth canal. That is, uh, that is a great way to put it. I come from a large family, you know, a very, I would say pretty funny family. Everybody, um, has a pretty good sense of humor. So I appreciate, I appreciate to getting together with my family and other people that, uh, just get the joke and see, cause sometimes I'm like the, you know, in a movie, cause my brain works so different. If something will happen in a movie, I'm the only person laughing. Yes, and comedians often find themselves in that situation. I find myself in that situation quite often. And you know what? I oftentimes do uh, teach my comedy students to do jokes that are really only um, accessible by about 10% of the audience. You do it because you know a small slice of the audience is going to laugh. Mm-hmm. On purpose. Uh, I would tell me when you're auditioning, like in Los Angeles, say at the um, at the Improv on Melrose. If you're doing an audition, there's agents and managers and other comedians at the back of the room, and so you want to do a joke or two just for them, sort of inside the ballpark. Last time I emceed at the Improv on Melrose, I said to the uh, group as after I finished my monologue, I said to him, I know we have agents and managers here, and I just want you to know that uh, I know what you're thinking. Six-foot-tall, brown-haired, white guy, where in the heck have you been? <laughs> because, you know, I mean, that's the, the dime a dozen right. in comedy. That's funny. Um, now, you do a lot of work on cruise ships. So, you know, I want to get into our topic because it's pretty uh, a, a, like a topic we've never really talked about on the show before. But just to get our conversational juices going, you know, so when you're out there in the cruise ship, what's one of the craziest things you've ever had happen when you're out to sea? Hmm, I've been fired off three cruise lines. And the question comes up, why is that? And it's a personality conflict with the cruise director. Generally, I'm a Sagittarius, and he's a weenie. <laughs> so, so I actually was on a cruise ship. Um, I won't name the line, but the ship almost rolled over. Really? We are uh, sailing out of uh, Port Canaveral. Beautiful day. Sea is like a pool table. Sun shining. I'm in a passenger cabin just by chance because they had too many entertainers, and it's a, a cabin with a veranda, meaning there's a sliding glass door and a little, you know, balcony. Mm -hmm. And I'm walking across my cabin, and all of a sudden I'm walking uphill, and I grab the slider door, and I'm hanging on for dear life. And, and what had happened was there was a glitch in the software, and the automatic pilot had told the ship to take a hard turn to um, starboard, mm -hmm. and and cruise ships are top heavy. And so once it started over, it began to pick up speed and we rolled to 18 degrees of list. Their mm -hmm. sea trial tested to about 24 degrees of list. And then somebody in, on the bridge caught it and cut off the autopilot and brought it back to a level. However, in the meantime, every, every glass on the ship was broken. Pianos slid, the water came out of the swimming pools. People came out with the water and, um, and so <laughs> we need to say I turn around and go back to port. 
Uh, they flew everybody off the ship as quickly as they could, you know, get them back to where they belong, gave them a free cruise. Mm-hmm. And there were about 500 of us left on the last night because they couldn't get any of us off. There weren't enough seats on planes to get out of out of uh, Florida. And they asked me if I'd like to do a show. Absolutely like to do a show. So I get on stage, my first line was, hey, what do you say we all rush to the starboard side of the room just for old time's sake? <laughs> my second line was, I finally figured out what went wrong. Uh, yeah, the reason we rolled so hard to starboard was they closed the port buffet too quickly. <laughs> I've been on a cruise. That one makes complete sense. That is hilarious. <laughs> yeah, there's always a line uh, in the Lido for whatever food item. There's never a line in the gym for a machine. Right. Yeah. Oh, that's awesome. That's good stuff right there. That's good. Um, how did they? So they just flew everybody off. I mean, did they come on and you know just do a public apology to everybody? Because that would yeah. just be crazy. Yeah, it was nuts. It's amazing nobody was hurt because you know a lot of older people on the ship, but. Fortunately, it began to roll slowly, so people had time to grab something. And <laughs> and turns out its sister ship had done the same thing eight months before, but nobody had mentioned it. Really? So yeah. Um, but generally, the, the generally you know the cruises are safe, and it's even a rough sea they do very well. I do about twelve weeks a year. I just got back from doing a run from. They flew me from Eugene to Hawaii, and then we sailed from Hawaii to Samoa, Samoa to Fiji, and then I flew home. Yesterday, wow. I've, I've been to all seven continents. I've been to Antarctica twice. Um, I work at Holland America, and they, the, by the way, it was not a Holland America ship that almost rolled over. It was another line. But I work at Holland America, which is a, kind of a high-end, um, really great itineraries, a mm-hmm. little older crowd, which are my people. I do well with the older folks, you know, because I am older. I mean, I, people go, why don't you play clubs? Well, because when I started in clubs, people were 23 years old, the audience. And now... Mm-hmm clubs the audience is 23 years old the only thing we have in common is an unpaid student loan so it's not really <laughs> yeah yeah that's uh, besides we, that they don't pay they don't pay anything the money is the uh, you know the money's in corporate and and i've been doing that since um about 95 uh-huh. started in corporate comedy just straight up comedy they pay me a lot of money just to be clean and funny every now and then a meeting planner will say to me we're paying you how much for 45 minutes of just jokes? And I say, uh, no, you're not paying me 45 minutes of jokes. You're paying me for 15 years of beer bars, pool halls, and honky tonks and drunk idiots screaming and tell us some jokes we can dance to. <laughs> tell us some jokes we can dance to. Yeah, it's a quote. And um, you're paying me not for the jokes I tell, but for the 45 minutes of jokes I don't tell. Bottom line, what you're paying me for is that when I get done with my job, you still have a job. Because <laughs> a comedian could do a great deal of damage in a very short period of time when you hand him a microphone. Right, right. Oh, that is probably like the best line I've ever heard. Tell us some jokes we can dance to. The that was that's... comedy on the road from 1984 to 1995. <laughs> that is classic. Because <laughs> I'm picturing like, you know, Patrick Swayze, the roadhouse, you're behind the uh, chicken wire. Chicken um, wire. <laughs> yeah, there were a lot of nights like that. I, I almost got shot in Kingsport, Tennessee. <laughs> they um like the guy who came before me a friend of mine pat miller the feature act he came on he's big guy he's like three feet tall three feet wide 300 pounds and uh, they constructed a platform for the comedians to stand on to get us up a little bit you know higher than average so the audience could see us made of wood pat's walking across there and a board broke audibly under his foot 
Mm-hmm. And of course, the audience heard it. And he turns to the audience, best ad lib I've ever heard. He goes, nobody panic. It's just a stage I'm going through. <laughs> and they loved him. They hated me. So I looked down about halfway through my show and I can't see beyond the first row because of the lights, but I can see the um, hand of the guy in the second row over the shoulder of the guy in the first row holding a nickel plated 38 with a hammer bag pointed at me. Nice. Yeah. So I turned sideways to make a smaller target. Lowered my elbow to cover my vital organs best I could, and I waited. Now this is East Tennessee, Kingsport, and I swear to goodness, this is this is this is really East Tennessee. What happened next? A woman in the back got tired of waiting, and after about ninety seconds, she yells, "Either shoot him or put it away." <laughs> oh, that sounds like a pretty interesting life on the road, right there. I, I would well, and my wife came with me. Two thousand six hundred and twenty-nine <laughs> nights. Non-stop, no home, post office box answering service, open up for Seinfeld, Dennis Miller, Ellen DeGeneres, Ron White, Jeff Foxworthy, uh, Rosie O'Donnell, and so forth and so on. Wow, wow, that's quite, that's, that's quite a run right there. Now, I really liked going through your website because uh, what I really appreciate is that you're tackling a topic that a lot of people don't talk about. And, you know, I just want to delve into that a little bit and, you know, find out, you know, where the, where the root came from. How do you, you know, how do you approach it with people? You know, because, you know, suicide, it's, it's a delicate topic and it's, you know, been on the rise. I do a lot of pre and post deployment work as a speaker with different branches of the military and that, you know, you know, suicides on the rise and, you know, they have the same standard training all the time. And it, you know, it, it just, it, it's highly ineffective. So, you know, where did that start for you? And, you know, how do you reach people and, you know, using comedy to to connect well by the way i just got a call from the speakers bureau they got a call from a um an air force base and this is this is a speaker's dream come true the person at the air force base was looking for a suicide prevention speaker because as you say it's the big problem in the military 22 veterans and one active duty um military person a day mm-hmm. uh, they didn't just say we want a suicide prevention speaker they called the speaker bureau and said we want frank king which is as they say in nsa the riches are in the niches mm-hmm. um remember when i told you that i knew coming down the birth canal i wanted to be a comedian mm-hmm. uh in my third ted talk which is called uh, born to be funny um i realized very early in my life what i wanted to do for a living what i could never figure out or didn't figure out till decades later, with how I could do that and make a difference. Mm-hmm. Um, when I was coming up, and uh, I did six years in the insurance business right out of college, and so I saw a good deal of a goodly number of motivational speakers, and I would watch them and think, I can do that, but I got nothing to say. I got nothing to teach. I, what do I have to... And so it wasn't until I came close to ending my life that I realized what I was, what I was supposed to be doing with my life to make a difference. Mm-hmm. And that was to speak on suicide prevention. And the genesis of that was I read a book by Judy Carter called The Message of You, Turning Your Life into a Money-Making Speaking Career. Mm-hmm. And, I mean, I was already speaking for a living. I was already, already doing corporate comedy. I was already doing sort of the general interest, public speaking. I had a motivational, inspirational, and networking keynote. Um, I have had a bunch of cardiac work done, so I had a cardiac comedy thing. Um, but, you know, nothing that I was really passionate about. I'm reading Judy's book thinking, well, I really haven't got anything 
any stories to tell that would make any big difference. She called it a heart story, you know, your mm-hmm. passion. And I realized about halfway through the book, oh my God, I do. Mm-hmm. And so by the time I finished the book, I realized the fact that depression and suicide run in my family. It's called generational depression and suicide. My grandmother died by suicide. My mother found her. My great aunt died by suicide. My mother and I, at the ripe old age of four, found her. It's a horrific story. If you, I'll spare your listeners the details, but if they want to hear the story, it's uh, my first TED talk is called A Matter of Laugh or Death. Just go to YouTube, type in Frank King and suicide or type in the mental health comedian mm-hmm. and you'll find it. And I myself came close enough to dying by suicide that I can tell you what the barrel of my gun tastes like. Wow. I was a recession. Um, uh, speaking business dropped off 80%. Right. Uh, lost everything in a chapter seven bankruptcy. And I just, you know, um, I was just, yeah. And I had a million dollar life insurance policy. And I thought, you know, I mean, my wife will be heartbroken, but she won't have to worry about where her next meal comes from. And I came, I came. The only reason I didn't pull the trigger, by the way, a spoiler alert, um, I didn't. Uh, I said that one time in a keynote, and a guy came up afterwards, a friend of mine who'd seen me. I didn't know he was in the audience. He comes up afterwards and goes, uh, after the spoiler alert, didn't pull the trigger. He said to me, uh, hey, how come you didn't pull the trigger? And I said, hey, how come you couldn't sound a little less uh, disappointed? Um <laughs> By the way, that's where the humor is, because people go, is there anything funny about depression, suicide? No, nothing funny about it at all, but there is humor organically in it. Right. Yeah, so anyway, um, I I didn't, I called my insurance agent because I knew most insurance policies have a two-year suicide clause. You have to wait 24 months before you kill yourself, otherwise it, they just return the premiums. Mm-hmm. Um, and I called him, I said, how long have I had the policy? And he goes, I don't know. And he starts typing on the keyboard. I can hear him in the background. And he comes back on. He goes, uh, 22 months. And no, do not do it. Really? He had this conversation many times uh, with a number of clients and had delivered checks uh-huh. to the widows or widowers of people who had, you know, they had it two years and pulled the trigger. So um, I had two months to wait. And in the two months the bankruptcy went through, the phone call stopped. I got a little, you know, more, my mood lifted a little and, um, it's, uh, and I'm still here. So (laughs) yeah, that's how I got into it. And I myself have two mental conditions. One's called major depressive disorder, better known as depression. It's, it's uh, the difference between the blues, you know, being down the dumps and major depressive disorder is that in major depressive disorder, it lasts three days to two weeks and recurs. And it's generally not situational. I've uh-huh. been most depressed in some of the best times in my life. Really? Uh, the other one, the other condition I have, which is much more rare, is called chronic suicidality. It means for me, the option of suicide is always on the menu as a solution for problems large and small. And I'll give you an example. A couple of years ago, my car broke down. I have three thoughts unbidden. I could get it fixed. Two, I could buy a new one. Or three, I could just kill myself. Mm-hmm. That's chronic suicidality. And uh, every time I speak, every time, and I'm, I'm, I'm always, I always say beware of absolutes, but so far, every time I've spoken, at least one person, sometimes half a dozen, come up afterwards to talk. Because I do a little Q and A for everybody as a as a group, and then I say, look, if you got a question you want to ask me that you really don't want to ask in front of the group, like, hey, I'm crazy, can you help me? Uh-huh. Um, come up afterwards, and I'll take time. I'll I'll be here till the last question is answered. So they come up, and I I did a 
a college thing, NACA, National Association Campus Activity National Convention. It was a showcase. Young woman comes up. I enjoyed your keynote, she said, but I got to tell you, it made me weep. And I said, how did it make you weep? And she goes, well, you know the part where you say you broke your car broke down, you had three thoughts, get it fixed, buy a new one, or you could just kill yourself. She goes, I've been having those thoughts all my life. She goes, I thought I was some kind of freak. It was just me. I didn't know there was a name for it. And when I realized, you know, what you said after you said it, I realized that I was not, in fact, alone. I wept. Wow. So that's part of the ROI is, and, and you said at the beginning of our conversation, you know, it's something most people don't talk about or it's not talked about. That's my job mm-hmm. is to start the conversation because, because silence kills. It's, you know, 45,000 people a year in the U.S. die by suicide. That's one every 15 minutes. So by the time you and I get done with, you know, 30, 45 minutes, three more people in the U.S. will have ended their lives by suicide. And, and think about this. On, on 9-11, roughly 3,000 people died on that horrible day, 9-11. Well, 15 times that many die every year in the United States of suicide. And hardly anybody's talking about it, which in my first TED Talk, I said I find sad and fascinating. Fascinating because, Chip, that I've discovered that the mere mention of the words depression and suicide out loud elicits the most amazing responses from people, most of whom I have just met. Mm-hmm. Do you have time for a story about the Oh, yeah, on a absolutely, ship? absolutely, absolutely. Yeah, and I'm on a cruise ship, and it's breakfast, and I'm in the Lido, and Lido Buffet, and I can't find a seat. I look, and there's a woman at a table for two, empty chair. And I, I point, she nods, and I sit. She looks up, she goes, hey, are you the comedian? I said, uh, hey, did you enjoy the comedy show? She goes, I enjoyed it very much. I said, then I'm the comedian. <laughs> she goes, wait a minute, what would you have said if I told you I hated the show? I'm a plumber from Des Moines. (laughs) She asked me, because a lot of people do, is cruise comedy all you do? And I said, no, I only do about 12 weeks a year, mostly Mm -hmm. summers and holidays, you know, when people aren't conventioning. She goes, well, what else do you do? I said, I'm a public speaker. And I said, listen, if you don't mind me bragging a little bit, I said, I just nailed down my first TED Talk coming up here in a couple of months. She goes, I love the TED Talks. What's the topic? Uh, And Chip, knowing what was coming... I said to her, um, depression and suicide, and started to count down in my head. Three, two, one. She goes, you know, I tried to kill myself twice. Wow. We have just met, literally just met. So she goes, first time I was in college, kind of half-hearted, not that serious. Second time, far more serious. I graduated college, she said. I graduated medical school. I had the knowledge, had the equipment. She said I had the IV started in my ankle. I had the suicide cocktail in one hand, the syringe in the other, getting ready to load it up phone rings. She -hmm. thinks to herself, should I answer it? Well, I better because it might be somebody who would worry she didn't pick up and come over and interrupt. She picked it up and it's her 13-year-old son. She goes, I don't know if you heard something in my voice or had a premonition, but the first thing he said was, mom, don't do anything. Mm -hmm. So she said, I didn't. I didn't give up on the idea of suicide, but I decided not to do it that day because I was afraid that he would feel guilty knowing he spoke to me right before I did it. There wasn't there something he could say or do to stop me from dying by suicide. And by the way, Chip, and this is what I talk about in my part of my keynote is um, there are things you can say. There are things you can do. You can make a difference. You can save a life and you can do it oftentimes by doing something as simple as starting a conversation. I said to her, how old is he now? She said, he's 21. I said, does he know if his phone call saved your life? She goes, no, wait for it. 
how do you start that conversation? Mm-hmm. So that became the overarching theme of my first TED Talk was start the conversation. That's my job. That's my my passion in life is 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 starting the conversation, giving people permission to give voice to their feelings and experiences surrounding uh, mental illness, depression, suicide without recrimination, and to, to create kind of a pool of knowledge that people who live with mental illness and those who love them can swim. Mm-hmm. That's, that's, that's great. Now, are there, you know, warning signs, you, you know, if you want to start that conversation, are there things that you should be, you know, looking out for with people around you? Because I, I, there are two camps on this from the training that I've sat through numerous times. That, oh, there are certain warning signs. And then, you know, I've heard other people say it's like, no, sometimes it's just like, you know, that split decision right there. They've got like some kind of life event that just takes them over the edge. And that's the only thing they see as an option is, you know, uh, taking their own life. Um, uh, yes and no. Um, the, you often hear people say, didn't see it coming, had no indication, um, and so forth. Uh, I liken it to, we have German shepherds, we train dogs, German shepherds. And people will say, you know, the dog bit me, gave me no indication it was going to do that. Well, that's not true. What's happening is you are not recognizing the signs because if you know dogs, the first thing that will happen is the dog will freeze. Mm-hmm. Then the, their eyes go sort of flat and their ears go back. And the raising of the hackles is like four steps down the road before they, because they really don't want to bite you generally. They just want you to go away. Just, just, you know, give them some distance. Right. Uh, same thing with horses. We used to, we had horses on our farm and, and people say the horse kicked me while I was cleaning his hooves and that didn't give me an indication. That's again, that's not true. If you, um, there's a martial art that I, I take on occasion called Aikido, which is about, um, blending with the other person's energy and taking their balance and weight. And, you Mm -hmm. know, and when, when I'm, cleaning a horse's hoof, I'm always leaning into the horse because a horse cannot kick you unless it shifts its weight from the leg you're working on to the opposite side mm-hmm. so they can lift a foot. So if you're paying attention, you can feel the horse shift its weight. You know at that point that the kick is coming. And if somebody, one of my sensei said to me about martial arts, the idea is just not to be there when the punch arrives. Right. So just be, not be there when the kick arrives. So so in, in my keynotes, I talk about signs, symptoms, and solutions. Um, so it's it's a rare case where somebody just spur the moment, situational, you know, uh, wife says, I'm leaving, husband says, I'm leaving, goes out and kills themselves. Mm-hmm. Usually there is a, there are three factors. There's a disconnectedness from friends, family, um, institutions. Mm-hmm. That's, uh, there's a burdensomeness that overtakes him where I felt like I was more of a burden to the, I was a burden to the world, to my wife. The world would be better off without me. Mm-hmm. We'll say that suicide is a selfish act. In fact, it's just the opposite for the person who dies by suicide because they believe they're doing everybody a favor. Mm-hmm. So you have those two things. You have the disconnection, the social, the burden, the burdensomeness, and then human beings have a, an amazing um, drive to stay alive from, from the time they're infants. And so, you have to get, if you are going to die by suicide, you have to get to the point where you go past that barrier. 
right. where you, you, you know, your survival instinct is not as important as, as in, you know, as leaving this planet. And you often hear people say, I can't believe so-and-so wanted to die. Chances are, Chip, they did not want to die. I didn't want to die. I just wanted to end the pain. Right. If I could have done it and woke up the next morning, that would have been terrific. Mm-hmm. But anyway, so I tell people, okay, now, look, here's the signs to look for. Um, the because it's like CPR. The sooner you recognize somebody's having a heart attack, the better the chance to survive. Right. The sooner you realize somebody's depressed and having thoughts of suicide, and get them professional help. You know, it's like CPR. The sooner all these things happen, the better the chance of survival. So here's the deal. Um, here's things to look for, and this is not the definitive list, but this is just a few, you know, obvious ones. Right. Or obvious ones you know what you're looking for. Um, the uh, let their personal hygiene go. Have difficulty getting up in the morning, uh, rally in the afternoon. Take less and less interest in social activities that used to bring them great joy. Mm-hmm. Uh, the uh, eat too much, can't eat, sleep too much, can't sleep, and of course the excess use of alcohol or drugs to excess, not just to party, but to, to self-medicate. Um, the question comes up, then what do you do? You've got a friend, you've noticed these symptoms. What do you say? Well, I start with what you don't say, which is pull yourself up by your bootstraps, turn that frown upside down. Have you tried fish oil? <laughs> yeah, I'm, and you think I'm making that up, I'm not. Have you tried, have you tried fish oil? <laughs> Yeah, you know my uncle had my uncle had a you know, major depression, and he tried fish oil, and he's all all his medications, and oh, I'm I'm happy for him. Um, yeah, or this one, a friend of mine said, "Choose joy." Look, dude, if it was that simple, don't you think I would have done that decades ago? Uh-huh. Uh Here's what you do say if you believe somebody is depressed. Um, I'm here for you and mean it. I know you're not crazy, lazy, or self-absorbed. I know that that depression is an illness, a mental illness. The good news is with time and treatment, things will get better. I will take the time. I'll help you get the treatment. Mm -hmm. And here's the question that everybody has difficulty with, including me, Jib. If you've gotten to the point where you you realize they are, in fact, depressed, you have to ask them in no uncertain terms, no dancing around, you know, none of that. You have to say to them, are you having thoughts of suicide? Now, there's an old uh, wives' tale or urban legend that you should never mention the S word, suicide, in front of somebody who is depressed, which I, as a comedian, find um, uh, find really amusing because the the premise is that it will give them the idea. Suicide? What a great idea. Why didn't I think of that? <laughs> Trust me, it's crossed their mind. Uh, right. And if they say, yes, in fact, they are having thoughts of suicide, well, let's Let's go back upstream for a second. Talk about signs of perhaps suicidal thoughts. Mm-hmm. Uh, writing about death and dying, googling death and dying, it appears as a theme in their artwork. Uh, they're collecting the means, whether it's ammunition and a weapon or stockpiling medications. Uh, they are giving away prized possessions because they want to make sure they go to the people they want them to go to once they're gone. The big one there is if they're giving away pets. That's oh. A- a seriously, seriously dangerous sign because they're, you know, hey, look, I'm going away for the weekend. Would you mind looking after the dog? And if I didn't come back on Monday, would you be okay with taking care of him for a little longer? Right. <laughs> yeah, like forever. Um, so, and here's a counterintuitive one. If somebody is depressed, 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 and all of a sudden happy, 
off the chart happy. Chart really? happy. For no apparent reason. <clears throat> Maybe because they have chosen time, place, method, and they know the pain is finite. So, yeah, if you've got somebody, a friend who's depressed, 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 and all of a sudden happy for no explicable reason, mm-hmm. that, that's a huge warning sign. Now, what do you say to somebody who is, you believe, circling suicide? Uh, here's what you don't say. Um, you're just being melodramatic. Nobody right. who talks about it ever does it. You've got so much to live for. Um, here's what you do say. Don't do it. Like my insurance agent said, don't mm-hmm. do it. Um, and which, by the way, I'm going to go back to that. Which, by the way, is amazing that when you called, I mean, he 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 knew because he'd had that many uh, calls like that. That is just um, amazing to me. Yeah, he knew what I was asking. What he didn't know was, and he told me later because I once I had the TED talk posted, I I called him and said I mentioned you in the TED talk, and. Um, because a friend of mine said to me, does your insurance agent know the phone call saved your life? And I said, no, but as soon as the TED Talk posts, I'm going to call him, let him know it's on YouTube, and then start that conversation. Mm-hmm. He said to me that two things. When I when he realized what I was up to, because he'd been down that road before, he said, you know, Frank, I didn't know what to say, but I knew I had to say something. So he mm-hmm. said, I just opened my mouth and hoped to God whatever I was supposed to say came out, which was exactly what he should have said. Right. Yep. And he, then he said, I hung up the phone. I said, he said, he hung up the phone, said to his wife, I think Frank is going to kill himself. And, uh, and he, he was right. If I, if, I, if that policy had been paid up, Chip, um, or been enforced, you and I would not be having this conversation right now. Uh-huh. So, so, uh, now we know they, they're having thoughts of suicide. Uh, your job at that point is if you, oh yeah, if, the next question is, uh, thoughts of suicide? Yes. You ask them, well, uh, do, you have a, do you have a plan? If they say yes, well, what is your plan? The more detailed the plan, the more dangerous the situation. Now, if they're depressed and have a thought of suicide, have a plan that's detailed, do your best not to leave them alone. You have to go bring somebody else in, take your place. Mm-hmm. And your job at that moment mm-hmm. is to become what I call a mental health first responder. Mm-hmm. Kind of like a paramedic in a heart attack. Mm-hmm. Uh, your job is to get them on the phone with the suicide prevention lifeline, or now they have a text line for, for younger people because they're more forthcoming often in text, which is you text the word hello to 741741. Mm-hmm. There should be somebody there on the other end of the line, you know, who is roughly the same age. And by the way, they, um, something I'll tell the folks who lack at the Air Force Base in uh, Texas is they have suicide prevention lifelines which were staffed by retired military because you know coming out with something like that in the military there's a stigma to coming out with depression there's a stigma to coming out with suicidal thoughts and there's a stigma coming out in the military that could be career ending right so they have Mm -hmm. specific suicide prevention lifelines staffed by retired military people who speak the same language as somebody who's active duty mm-hmm. and understands the risks, you know, to career. Right. Um, so your job is to get them on the line with it. Now, if the person won't pick up the phone and call the suicide prevention lifeline, you pick up the phone, you call the lifeline, and the volunteer will do whatever they can to get the phone into the hands of the person who is in crisis. Mm-hmm. 
the question always comes up when do you dial 911? You dial 911 only when that person is in an immediate danger to themselves or others. You've got no choice. Right. Call 911. Uh, there's some resources, by the way, for your listeners. There's an outfit called uh, mentalhealthfirstaid.org. Mentalhealthfirstaid.org. And they have classes, eight hours. Um, usually running anywhere from $5 to $25 for the eight hours. And they throw in pizza for lunch. And it's called Mental Health First Aid. And they have an adult version, a youth version, and now a senior citizen version. And mm -hmm. it's just a great primer, uh, sort of Mental Health 101. They cover, cover a lot of um, mental illnesses, uh, things to say and do, uh, other resources. It's just a great way to get an education. Now, in most communities, let's say you have a child or a loved one who has a mental illness, there's an outfit called NAMI, National Alliance on Mental Illness, NAMI, N-A-M-I. Mm -hmm. <clears throat> their thing is not so much for the person who is, is dealing with the mental illness, but for their friends and family. I've got a friend who's a, an insurance agent here in town, his son is schizophrenic or schizoaffective. Mm -hmm. And they were at their wit's end. And they found NAMI or NAMI, and they have a 12-hour class for families once a week on how to live and raise, live with and raise a child who has schizoaffective disorder, you know, what to say, what not to say, how to find resources. Then they have family-to-family -family counseling. So you've got families in there who have a similar situation and peer-to-peer -peer counseling for the individual who is suffering the mental illness. Mm -hmm. And the best part about that, Chip, NAMI, National Alliance on Mental Illness, it's all free. No oh, charge. that's awesome. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I've done some, some um, auctioneering and some keynoting and fundraising for them. But yeah, they don't charge anything. They're, they're, it's um, everything they do, they do gratis. Uh, so that's a great, that's a, a great resource because you know when I speak, people often come up or call me or email me or text me and say, you know, I've got my roommate in college, you know, and this and that, and I, I what sort of well, what can I possibly do? Where can they find resources? And and I usually recommend NAMI mm -hmm. as a first step. And then so anyway, um, let's see where were we go? Oh, oh, and um, yeah, so the yeah the, the police and nine one one last resort is um, yeah that's if you want education I would say mentalhealthfirstaid.org and then if you're if you're looking for help for a friend or loved one right I would say no I mean National Alliance on Mental Illness and or if you're looking for a speaker for crying sakes book me <laughs> <clears throat> well speaking of that well one. I mean, you've been uh, just like a well of great information. Cause like I said, there's so much misinformation out there. And, and the reason is, is nobody wants to talk about this subject. And I appreciate that you're out there kind of like leading the charge, you know, doing it with a little bit of comedy, which I think opens up people's ears and you know, it makes it a little less threatening when you can, you know, balance a little humor in there. And so I appreciate that kind of work. Now, if after today um, you want people to connect with you, where do you want them to go? Uh, my website is uh, TheMentalHealthComedian.com, TheMentalHealthComedian.com. All right. Um, yeah, on LinkedIn, anyplace else? Uh, LinkedIn. Um, my um, Facebook page is The Mental Health Comedian. Uh, All right. My, my YouTube channel is The Mental Health Comedian. Yeah, you know, one, the thing that I see you're a CSP. I'm a, I'm a recovering CSP, a certified speaking professional NSA. Yeah. Um, NSA preaches, you know, the riches are in the niches. And, and once I found my niche and a friend of mine who I'm 
coaching and speaking. So how'd you pick your topic, uh, Scott? My topic picked me. Mm-hmm. And I think that, that is always, in my mind, it's always easier to work with a speaker whose topic is, I've got a friend who's, she's a wife of a deputy sheriff. He's been a sheriff for 20 years. She has a speech called Behind the Badge because she talks about what it's like to be the, the wife or spouse and family of a law enforcement officer. There's a police academy where they train police officers. There's no family and friends academy for right. family and right. friends of police how to deal with that. So, but, you know, it's not something she just chose at random. It it chose her. Right. And I, she did a 10-minute section of it for the first time ever at a uh, law enforcement, you know, um, they were celebrating, well, not celebrating, they were uh, honoring law enforcement officers at a Chamber of Commerce meeting, and she did 10 minutes of her behind the badge. First time she'd ever spoken on it. Mm-hmm. Thank the Lord, I turned on my iPhone and got it on video. She got a standing ovation after 10 minutes. Wow. Yeah, and she got, she's already got 5,000 hits on the video, uh, which is, you know, for organic hits for that kind of thing for her first time out. But again, the benefit of speaking on what I do, what she does, is we both have a passion for it. We right. sleep, you know, drink, breathe it. I advise speakers, you know, if there's something you're really passionate about, you know, because as somebody came up to me after a, I, I got, did a showcase for a, a dental group, a dental association group, did 15 minutes, darned if I didn't get a standing ovation. And the the woman who booked me, the Speakers Bureau person came up and said, look, Frank, I've been to, I don't know how many of these showcases in my career in 20 years. I've never seen anybody get a standing ovation in a showcase. Right. And the woman standing next to her who had seen it, she goes, I'll tell you what happened. It's because he was speaking from his heart, not his head. Right. That makes all so the difference it, right there. Absolutely. Oh, man. It's, uh, yeah, and it's, it's made my, I just, the thing on Facebook, um, Atkinson, she's a speaker coach. Uh, I can't think of her first name. But anyway, she posted a question on Facebook. Jane Atkinson. Um, tell us your why. As a speaker, tell us your why. Mm-hmm. And so I went on and I said, well, why? Because, you know, I gave a little, you know, it runs in my family and it's, it's you know, I, I didn't know what I want to do with my life until I came close to ending my life. And, um, and somebody, a friend of mine wrote in and said, you know, well, then Frank, take it one step farther. Tell them what changed in your speaking career when that happened. And well, it made my, it made the marketing far easier. Um, everything I do is marketing in that direction. And I did an incognito search yesterday on Google for suicide prevention speakers. And I came up as the second organic listing on page one mm-hmm. because I, my, the guy that does my SEO is very good, but, but you got to give them the tool. And the tool is you, you do one thing and it's a really it's a niche and it's a big one and you're going deep into it. And that's why you're near the top on, on Google. So yeah, just the, I guess bottom line in my why was here's why, here's why. And here's the change it made was it made all the difference. You know, right. I'm up there on Google. I was able to raise my fee. People call and ask, not just for a suicide speaker, but ask or begin to ask for me. Which right. is speaker, you know, you know, that's your speaker's that's dream good. come through. Yeah. I don't just want to, you know, a speaker on leadership. I want Chip. Right. Well, like I said, I really appreciate the work you're out there doing and making a difference for, you know, a positive difference for people. Now, I added a new section to the show of, you know, asking my uh, my guests to share their favorite joke to try to end things kind of like on a fun note. So uh, I'll throw it out there. Frank, you want to share your favorite joke? Okay. Now, this joke, 
uh, involves therapy, <clears throat> which I think is appropriate. <laughs> it's, it's also something, Chip, uh, it's a joke that comedians really like. It's, it's kind of like the, you mentioned early on that you'll be sitting in the theater, I do the same thing. There's a line in the movie where you and I are the only ones laughing. And I'm sure I'm sure the writer intended it, and I'm sure he knew or she knew it was not going to get a general laugh, but right. knew somebody was going to appreciate the joke. So here's the joke. It's a, it's a comedian's joke. It's not written by a comedian, but the kind of joke a comedian would like. Uh, there's a um, a moth, you know, like a butterfly, my moth. Yeah. yeah. Uh, and he goes into a podiatrist's office. And he says to the podiatrist, foot doctor, I'm depressed. And the foot doctor says, well, um, uh, uh, why are you depressed? He goes, well, my, I lost my job. My girlfriend left me. Um, I'm, I'm filing bankruptcy. And, and the podiatrist says, well, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm really sorry about all that. I, 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 but, you know, I'm, I'm a podiatrist, not a psychiatrist, he said to the moth. So why'd you come in here? And the moth says, well, because your light was on. <laughs> oh, I, I, I will repurpose that one. That is awesome. That is a great show. Yeah, that is my, you know, it's my favorite, you know, it's just really hip kind of, you got to think about comics love jokes. You have to think about, right. You know, where you, where it's not, where you don't just get slapped in the face. Yeah. You know, I was doing a show the other night on the ship, and we were talking about uh, GI Joe's. Because I do this thing on Baby Boomers toys. We had, you know, we had the, our toys are dangerous. You know, they're made of lead, and they, you know, <laughs> and the, there was the lawn darts and Easy Bake Oven with a real light bulb. And somebody <clears> mentioned GI <throat> Joe, and I go, uh, "Yeah, I'm, I'm old enough to remember GI Joe. Uh, I had one in, um, I guess it was the early '60s. Uh, yeah, yeah, back there, back in the '60s, when uh, when uh, they wouldn't allow Ken to enlist." in the army um which of course implies that ken is gay and i would say about 10 percent of the audience got it right um and that's again i tell comics do something for that 10 percent that are you know that are going to get yeah i was doing a show on a ship it was a long cruise it was a really old set of passengers i'm talking to a german guy in the audience because i do a lot of audience work and he just would not answer a question just over and over just you know very brief sort of like he was testifying and I finally said to him, dude, it's not Nuremberg. You can give me an answer. And because the audience were over all over 75, they exploded. Right. But if I'd done that on Carnival, where they're 18 to 35, nobody would know what the heck I was talking nobody, about. Nobody would get that at all. No, nobody but I knew that right. it was coming out of my mouth. It was going to kill. Right. That's hilarious. Well, I really appreciate you spending some time with me today. I know that uh, our listeners will get a lot from our conversation. Just thank you so much for uh, taking the time out of your busy schedule. And uh, thanks for the work that you do. Well, and one thing uh, on my website is my phone number. So if there's somebody who is struggling, uh, if you're you're in crisis, for goodness sakes, call the Suicide Prevention Lifeline. If you are simply struggling, my advice to everybody who's just struggling is to call somebody who's crazy. because we're less likely to be judgmental. We're less likely to do what they call should all over you. You should do this and you should do that. Right. So if there's somebody who's hearing this and they are struggling and looking for resources and, and whatever, feel free to call or text me at the number on the, or email me and I will respond because I got to keep my tribe alive. That's awesome. And I appreciate you throwing that out there. Oh yeah.
All right. Thanks again. Thanks, Jeff. So what'd you think? What'd I tell you? Frank is what we call PDA. Pretty darn awesome. He's out there doing the work every day, trying to make a difference, like most of our members are. And you can meet cool people like him at the conference if you register. Make sure you get registered. Early Bird, I think, is getting ready to be over here pretty soon, and you want to save a little money, because saving money is awesome. Coming to the conference is awesome, so be there. April 4th through the 7th, 2019 in Chicago. And when I say in Chicago, I mean around Chicago. But you can fly into Chicago and just catch a bus. So until next time, this is Chip Lutz signing off. This is LaughBox, the podcast for laughter and humor professionals. LaughBox is made possible by a grant from the National Speakers Foundation and is brought to you by AATH, the Association for Applied and Therapeutic Humor. Find out more at AATH.org. Be sure to review LaughBox on iTunes. For show notes and more information about today's conversation, visit laughbox.aath.org.